Hey everyone, from my guest today, Shira McDermott, who is a co-founder of Flowerist Bakery, this show has been divided into two parts. Sometimes the audio or the story just lends itself to chapters, so I've tried to honor that with two parts. Thank you, Shira, for your generosity in sharing with me the first crumbs on your trail, from a young age to ultimately creating Flowerist for all of us today. I hope you were happy to share it. Part two drops on Thursday. I hope you enjoy her early story as much as I did. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Glow Says. And today I'm so excited because I get to speak to Shira McDermott, and she's got a lot to say. This woman is a powerhouse. <laughs> so thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak with you. I'm also always happy to support dynamic, forward-thinking business lady bosses, actually. And today I speak with Shira. Her business partner, Jana, isn't with us today. But Shira is a super cool veteran, vegetarian, and foodie talent in Vancouver. And by the way, she's a wife and mom as well, as well as many other things. So we will hear all about her very soon. Thank you, Shira, for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Gloria. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Nice to see you again. Actually, we've met before because... I was able to take a sourdough bread making class with Shira at Flourist. Was it maybe last year, maybe a year and a half ago with my friend, Melanie. So that's where I first kind of crossed paths with Shira. I loved what she provided. I loved her space and their class and everything. So I have been basically following her ever since. Not quite stalking you, but I've been following you for sure. <laughs> so, so thank you for talking to me. Okay, so let's get right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I'm excited for the listeners to know about Flowerist and what it is, because it's not just a bakery or cafe, but let's start with you. Who are you, Shira? Where are you from? What's going on with you? <laughs> wow. It's really nice to have an opportunity to think about things in this way. It, I would rarely go back there, but basically I am a lifelong vegetarian. As you said, I am a mother of two. I live in Vancouver. I've been in Vancouver since 1994. Mm. Um, I actually grew up in a hippie family mm. in the Gulf Islands, born in the 70s. My parents had four kids. They were basically hippie homesteaders who, back in that day, it was still pretty rebellious to buy a piece of land in the Gulf Islands and raise four kids. My father was an artist. My mother was she worked at home. So we spent lots of time as a family growing up. And yeah. yeah, growing up on the island was very interesting. I think a lot of parts of that type of living, especially in this day and age, can be easily romanticized. And there were there were really good parts. And there were parts that I personally found pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. You had running water and electricity? Yes. Depends. But I'll tell you, I grew up without a plumbed washroom mm. in my house until mm. I was about 13 mm. and my dad added on to our house. It was, it was the kind of upbringing where nothing really happened unless my parents did it themselves. Right. And got so it. Got it. <laughs> the house tended to grow with the family and Gabriel at that time mm -hmm. was a very small population, probably maybe 2000 people. Mm. It only had an elementary school. So to go to high school, yeah. we had to get up very early. We lived very far away from the ferry. So okay. you'd have to get up, get ready for school, find your way to the ferry, either by bus or, you know, back in the day, we actually hitchhiked. Okay. Yeah. It was a lot quicker. Yep. 
Yep. And we caught the ferry to Nanaimo every single day to go to high school. Gosh, that seems farther. I thought you were going to say the Sunshine Coast or maybe West Vancouver. So to Nanaimo, okay. Gabriola is closest to Nanaimo, which is because it's right in between Vancouver Island and Vancouver. Hmm. But it's a 20-minute ferry ride. Wow. Okay. To get to Nanaimo. And so that was kind of regular daily life as a high school student going to Nanaimo. That type of upbringing... Like I said, it had its good things and its bad things, but I would say what it was really good for is it really gave anyone who lived there growing up as a kid an extreme Mm. kind of sense of independence. Uh It was obviously a different time. It was before computers. It was before cell phones. We had real childhoods. Well, at the minimum, you must be a very savvy person. I mean, because that's how you get savvy, right? Or develop the street senses by getting out there and being independent. Definitely. I would say that that's the biggest thing when I look back and I think, man, I mean, I was I was doing a lot of things that kids these days would never be afforded those types yes. of freedoms. Yes. We just did that as as necessity. That was just a way of life. Right. And my parents really demonstrated that too with you know, the way they chose to live. And as much as maybe some things didn't jive with me, I mean, I really, I didn't feel that comfortable bringing friends around to my house without a working bathroom and things in in my home were so different compared to a lot of the the kids I hung out with. But, you know, now I look and parents were growing their own food. We were eating a predominantly vegetarian diet out of necessity. I mean, they didn't make a lot of money either. And so Uh. the way that I eat today and the way that we celebrate at mm-hmm. Flowerist, it's it's very interesting to see how it's come full circle from the yeah. way I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. You're not just talking the talk. You've lived it. You're walking the walk too. <laughs> you know, it's great. Yeah. That was really something that I learned from a very early age was that you eat well, you celebrate the food that you eat, you eat the best possible ingredients you can mm-hmm. access, mm-hmm. obviously within your means. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I grew up eating lentils and eating baked goods made with whole wheat flour. And a lot of those things just really come naturally to me. Right. No, that's fantastic. So normally when people start a business, they see a problem. They're trying to solve something. Was that for you? Like when you moved, I'm assuming you moved from there to at least to Vancouver. Anyways, you started living in a more urban setting. Mm-hmm. Did you start to notice problems with the way people ate? Is that what it was? Yeah, I mean, I, I left home and I was super obsessed with healthy eating, strangely yeah. enough. I knew I wanted to live in the city and I wasn't interested in going to university at that time. So I basically graduated high school yeah. and immediately got a job working at Capers. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I know what that means. Right. <laughs> so the fact that you and I know what that means puts us in the same window, time window. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I worked at Capers on 4th. I was their youngest employee. I was 16 years old. Hmm. I started out as a cashier and I kind of worked my way through that business. And actually during that time, hmm. I, I um, always had a lot of energy because I actually started a produce wholesale company during the time where my partner and I would drive to the Okanagan and and pick up fruit from organic farms, fruit and vegetables and deliver them to retailers and then restaurants. You know, this was in the late nineties. So, okay. um, Yeah. You really are the OG of the whole food movement, Shira. (laughs) Well, part of it, there were lots of people doing these things, but 
I was very much driven by, yeah, just better sources of food. So to answer your question, yeah, I, for sure. I, during that time, I, I really expected that people in the city would be different. And I saw that the health food business is still just the grocery business and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not perfect. And not everybody that works there is drinking wheatgrass and carrot juice and sprouting wheat berries. Yep. So I think there was a, there was a bit of a disillusionment in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. In those early years. Mm-hmm. And after that, I actually ended up being a produce manager for 13 years. After that, I went, to, well, I had my daughter, my first daughter. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I spent 13 years managing produce departments for specialty grocery stores. I worked at Meinhart for four years, and I actually went to the first urban fair and I ran their produce department until 2007. Okay. And so that was my that was my time really becoming very intimate with the inner workings of the grocery business, the distribution channels, the waste inherent in buying and selling fresh fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. um, getting to know a lot of the suppliers and and really just seeing, yeah, as you say, like things could be so much better in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And after that, I decided it was time for a change and I I ended up in a sales role at JJ Bean. Okay. Wow. Coffee roasters. Uh And that was fabulous. That was really great exposure to like a business model that we actually ended up applying. Yeah. The florist thinking about the changes that have happened in the coffee industry. My exposure to the coffee business during my time at JJ Bean was, was very formative. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so I did that for six years, made lots of connections in the restaurant business mm-hmm. on top of you know my retail work. And it was shortly after that. I left JJ Bean in 2013. Okay. And along the way, did you meet Jana somewhere along the way, your current business partner? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Okay. So my, my husband, bless him, yes. he worked for Mountain Equipment Co-op for many years. Okay. And he designs bicycles. Okay. And so he was at Mountain Equipment Co-op and Jana also worked there. And Jana's background is in fashion design. And oh. so we became friends through other mutual friends and just kind of hit it off. Wow. And is she a fellow vegetarian as well? Jana, I would say she's predominantly vegetarian. I don't think she cooks a lot of meat. So definitely that would be the majority yeah. of her food choices would be vegetarian. Right. She's food obsessed in the same right. way that and we bonded in the early years of our friendship yeah. over the fact that she followed a lot of popular vegetarian food blogs. I had sort of just started my yes. food blog and we just, yeah, we just talked about recipes and what people were eating and what she was making. And, and that, that eventually led us to, to me discovering that she yeah. had family farm connections in Saskatchewan. Mm, okay. So that's, yeah. I always call it the crumbs on the trail and I love all the crumbs on your trail (laughs) so far because your background, I think you're right, really lent itself to all of this. You really got to see the inner workings, right? Or the the sort of back, what happens behind the scenes in a lot of the food business, which is great. And your experience, you know, as a manager of produce and just being familiar with the whole grocery store thing. That's so great. And I like that JJ Bean combination because I can see that actually in your business too. Uh, yeah. Like you were laying the bricks to lead you here. I really think so. <laughs> I, know, I know. Yeah. yeah. 
funny to see looking in the rearview mirror how yes. I would hope most people can kind of look back and see that there's a lot of stepping stones, but mm-hmm. yeah, they've all been really useful. Yes. No, that's great. And when you started your food blog, I mean, that blogging was so big, right? In the sort of what mid, what early mid 2000s till now, right? But it started. So that must have been a great outlet for you to talk about food since you appreciate food so much from the ground up. Yeah. I mean, I totally stumbled upon blogging by accident. Mm. Um, I did not intend on becoming a food blogger. Funny enough, I had with all of my excess energy, I was working at JJ Bean at the time. Hmm. And I actually started an, a not-for-profit, which no longer exists. Okay. But I decided I wanted to create a charity that fed people in the downtown east side. And, wow. and for a time, we had the full nonprofit set up. We did weekly cooking classes at the Strathcona Community Center. Okay, yeah. Um, teaching kids in grade two and three how to... It, just introducing them to basic cooking principles right? With, with Whole Foods. Right. And out of that project, I ended up just sharing very simple recipes mm. um, and then sort of discovered through that process that I actually really just enjoyed taking the photos and, yeah. and doing so seemed to also inspire people to want to make the recipes. So it seemed like a great vehicle to keep exploring that. And then it, I ended up having this food blog and, and yeah. the the nonprofit just became too much for me to manage. Well, the food blog in pursuit of more won an award by Taste Canada, right? A few years ago. It did. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And I didn't know you through your food blog, but I do follow your Instagram and there's such beautiful pictures on there. Like I'll look at it and I'll be like, yeah, I could eat vegetarian today. <laughs> could, I could do that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty pictures. <laughs> well, that's really informed a huge part of our strategy with flowers mm-hmm. as well. So they all tie really well together. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Okay. So you and Jenna became friends and you talked as friends do, right? About the mutual interests and things that you have. Mm-hmm. But Jenna, that's right. I forgot one of you has a connection to farm. So how did that all start? Well, there were a couple of conversations as we were becoming better friends. And I think we both remember with great clarity, first time we ever discussed it was at a a friend's Christmas party. And it was the first time Jana had kind of just casually mentioned that her dad was a a lentil and chickpea farmer. And I remember it because it was was just like my jaw dropped all these years. My mother had worked in health food stores. Everything was centered around these meccas of the latest health food products. And yet the bulk bins were just nothing. There was no branding. There was no story. You would just go into the corner of Capers on West 4th, which was where I worked. And the bulk bin was just a sea of unidentified products with no story. And when Jana told me that she went home and and brought lentils and chickpeas home from her farm and that the thought of me knowing the person who grew my, my legumes was just sort of really revolutionary. Mm. And so from that point on, she actually, I think she was probably pretty jazzed by how excited I was. I i don't think that was very common. Right. So, um, I love it. I love that. Well, I mean, lentils and chickpeas are like the foundations of your meal plan, right? Basically. 100%, like 100%. And so I had already begun my food blog. And, and I remember when she yeah. brought me a couple bags home and I, I started cooking with them. And the chickpeas, when I cooked them, honestly, Gloria, it was... Oh. 
it was completely life-changing. Like I never knew that chickpeas could look so beautiful. They could taste so beautiful. They could cook so quickly. They would be so big. So bulbous. and Yeah. (laughs) As I kind of went down this path with using these products, we started to talk more. And I do remember one night that we went out on a social engagement and we ended up having a drink later. And Janet shared with me that her and her stepdad, Bob, who is the farmer, Uh they had discussed the deficiencies in the market for a number of years. They'd both Uh become aware of them. Bob would come and visit Jana. He lives in Saskatchewan, but he would come to Vancouver to visit Jana. He would go to unnamed high-end grocery store chains. And Bob would just point out these lentils have this disease and this uh-huh. has this form of blight. And he'd say the majority of the, of the products that are made available to us, uh-huh. even in very high end places, uh-huh. they're not even animal grade feed. Wow. <laughs> Cause all of the good stuff, all of the good stuff gets exported uh-huh. typically, including our wheat Is it to the U S our wheat goes all over the world. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Canadian wheat gets exported all over the world, including mm. to Italy and France, where interesting, okay. which are known for their wonderful quality wheat products. Which That's people, right. people yeah. they travel there and they say, "Oh, I can go to France and I can eat the bread and I right. I feel great." Mm-hmm. What is it about their wheat? Mm-hmm. But it's not French wheat; it's Canadian wheat. It's just isn't that interesting? It. Wow. Okay, I totally get this whole thing. <laughs> okay, good. Interesting. So, so that night, Jana kind of loosely shared with me this idea that they had had of making these products available and creating a business. And that was really when it was born. We both, of. yeah, we yeah. were like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. I had just left my job at JJ Bean. I was sort of like figuring out what my next steps were, had started mm-hmm. my own company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And literally spent a couple days thinking about it. And I phoned Jana and I said, I, I think we should start this business. And she just said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and we did, we just, we kind of started right away. Fantastic. Okay. So in my layman's understanding, you're basically getting people to know where their grain is from, like the wheat grain, the lentils, the chickpeas, just like we all know where the coffee is from now, right? right? And even tea leaves to some extent and, you know, other foods, right? Meat, especially eggs, all that. So you're bringing it back to dry goods like lentils, chickpeas. I don't know what other things you carry, peas. Yeah, we have lentils, we have some beans, pinto beans, black beans, navy okay. beans, lots of lentil varieties and grains like quinoa, Canadian grown quinoa, of course the yeah. wheat berries, farro. Yeah, farro. I've seen that. Okay, I know I'm jumping a bit, but I have to tell you, I'm very excited when you talk like this because I first came across, I think it was lentils, lentil products mm-hmm. in a brown box and it had a picture of a guy on it and at mm-hmm. the back there was his story. And I thought, oh my gosh, like how, and this was a few years ago. I know because I moved back to Vancouver a few years ago and it was on fourth. And I believe it was at Beyond Bread. I want to say, is that your product though? Or is that someone else's product? That was probably ours. Yeah. Okay. Because the brown box, I think it is. Cause I think I've seen it at your store as well. Actually for the listeners, I do order from flowers, but I go online. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not always at the store, but I'm pretty sure I've seen that box. But anyway, I just remember thinking to me, I thought it was revolutionary to read about this dry good product and where it was from. Because one, I was like, hold on, is this right? They are saying it's 
grown in Canada? Because, you know, I, I didn't think you kind of couldn't grow anything in Canada. Now, I know that sounds terrible, but you know what I mean? I wouldn't think that. No, and for then, sure. Right. And then secondly, I looked at the story and I thought, oh, how cool. Like, I do like to know about him. And I like to know where these dry goods come from, because the same thing as you, I sort of avoid the big bins because I always wonder how long they're sitting there for, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff. So I don't know if a can is better. I don't think it's better, but it's sort of, that's the only choice you've got at a regular grocery store, right? It's either these big bins of unidentified things that have been there for who knows how long or right. some other mushy thing that sits in the can, but it's BPA free, but it sits in a can and for who knows how long. That's sort of the choices. So, wow, that is amazing that you did that. I have to say what you've done is revolutionary. Revolutionary is what I think of Shira and Jana's idea to turn the shipping container around and keep these locally grown, healthy, wholesome grains in Canada for our own consumption. And guess what? These flower products can ship all over North America. Check it out on www.flowerist.com. That's F-L-O-U-R-I-S-T dot com. Follow me at Glow Says on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join me on Thursday for part two of Shira's story. Story.